glad you are here. We'll start a new series here for this lull. And uh, tis the season to give to play Christmas music and to be thankful. Do you agree? No? So you don't think so? Now we had our poll, you know, it was pretty it was pretty evenly. But uh, in fact, I sent to our group, I did a video of me doing my lesson and said, how thankful are you right there while I was listening to Christmas music? Did you enjoy that, Audra? That was great. You, yes, it was awesome. Tis the season. You know, it's interesting where we're at in the life of our church, right? We're in between the intensity of world outreach and then Christmas, the busyness of Christmas. And so this is a good time to step back and cultivate an attitude of gratitude. So I want a Sila moment here. Do I want you to just pause and reflect. Do I live thankfully before the Lord every day or only on a holiday? Do I live thankful before the Lord? And probably the best way to assess that is ask others around you. Because when we're thankful, it comes out. And when we're not, that also comes out. And so about five years ago, I read some articles by Paul Tripp on thankfulness and just filed them away. And and so his articles are the inspiration for this series. So let's ask the question, how thankful are you? Here's the fact of life. Every day, and I would even say every moment, you can find reasons to complain. Would you agree? We can always find reasons. Life is full. I know Dane's shaking his head because he just installed two toilets. So I'm sure there was a lot of giving thanks, right, Dane? Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, it, it's, that kind of stuff is frustrating. It's frustrating. Listen, the Bible recognizes that this is a struggle. It's literally spiritual warfare. Let me just read, or you, can, you turn in your Bibles. Turn to Ephesians 4, 29. I just want to give you a couple verses that highlight this struggle. I mean, the Bible understands where you and I live. So when we're struggling to be thankful, the Bible has something to say. So look at Ephesians 4, 29. Ephesians 4, 29. And upstairs... In the book of James, we're going to be talking about speech. So there's some overlap here in what we're talking about. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. You know, it's like, okay, Paul, you know, it's bad enough you say, we got to edify, we need to edify that fits the need of the moment. That takes wisdom, doesn't it? The bar is pretty high. So that it will give grace to those who hear. Our words are to be gifts of grace to other people. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So not only are we to impart grace to our hearers, but our words should be such that the Holy Spirit within us is not grieved by what it hears. Drop down to uh, chapter 5, verse 3. Paul addresses speech again in chapter 5, verse 3, and he says this, But immorality... And or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints or set apart ones. 
And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather what? What's it say? The giving of thanks. The giving of thanks. What is fitting for the saints? Not unwholesome talk. Not griping and complaining. What's fitting for the saints is giving of thanks. Now, why is this such a daily struggle? Why is this a daily struggle? Well, let me give you the answer that's the answer to everything that's a struggle in this life. We live east of Eden. Ever since the fall... This world is broken, sinful, and it falls short of what God wants. In Genesis 3, when our great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, probably need a couple more in there, our great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, when they fell, what entered in, what sprung, really didn't enter in, it came forth from their heart, was guilt, shame, and fear. And let me tell you, As long as we're in that condition, we'll never be thankful. Guilty people are not thankful people. Fearful people are not thankful people. Shame-filled people are not thankful people. And it's not just what's in our hearts. We live in a fallen world. And so here's the reality. Family and friends are going to wrong you. Good health will flee from you. I don't care how hard you exercise, we're dying. And it increases. And authority over you will exploit you. You, We can just go on and on. And it's not just those things. It's even the small things. So like if you live in a neighborhood like us with these big oak trees, it's a cause for griping that these leaves are continually falling. It's like time released. Okay, so we rake, we clean our yard, and then they release. And then we rake again, and then they release. Tires go flat. Kids rebel. Some days it rains, or you're in Africa, and there's not enough rain. There's, I mean, think about it. Weather and work is enough to keep us busy, busy griping. Am I, are, are you with me? Right? So this is it. So let's have a poll. Okay, are you ready? Well, we had our Christmas poll last week. Is complaining unavoidable? Yes or no? Is complaining unavoidable? How many think it it is unavoidable? How many think it's not unavoidable? How many think that, like most of these questions, it's a trick question? All right, good, good. Yes, it is both. The answer is both. So let's take a look at it in your notes. But it's important to think through this, all right? Complaining is unavoidable due to our sin. Okay, that's just a fact. It's unavoidable. We live in a fallen world that is broken. It's sin-cursed. We're bent towards negativity. We're bent towards complaining. We're bent towards seeing the seeing the the difficulty of life. Therefore, it's never ever difficult to come up with a laundry laundry list of reasons to complain. So just think about this week. Listen to the conversation around you. There are it's just filled with negativity. Or just listen to your household. And take it deeper, listen to your heart. 
Listen to your heart. My prayer for you for this lesson, it's going to raise your sensitivity to negativity. It's going to raise your sensitivity to negativity so that you don't see it. You see it and you declare it not to be good. But complaining is avoidable. It is avoidable. It's unavoidable and yet it's avoidable, especially in Christ. We can easily find, just as we find a laundry list for complaining, here's the reality. If you look around, you can find a multitude of things to give thanks for to God. It's really what we decide to do. So, God's grace, both common and saving grace, gives us many reasons to give thanks to God. So let's look at, first of all, common grace. General reasons for thankfulness are seen everywhere in creation due to common grace. Common grace. You say, Chris, what's common grace? Well, I gave you a definition there in your notes. Common grace is God's mercy or kindness shown to undeserving sinners in this fallen creation. So, yes, we live in a fallen world, but praise God, give thanks That even in a fallen world and even to people that reject God, God shows his mercy and kindness. Now, this mercy and kindness does not save them, but it may lead them to salvation. And in fact, it's intended to point them to God so that they give thanks to God. But it's God's mercy and kindness. So let's take a look at this. Uh, let's and, and it's given to all people, okay? So that's why it's common. It's common grace because everybody gets it. Let's look at a couple verses. Why don't you, uh, you can turn to these in your Bible. Matthew 5.44. Matthew 5.44. And uh, first two verses of these are from Jesus. And then the last one's from Paul. It's all throughout the Bible. So here's what Jesus says. And these are, I want you to see them. Here's what he says in 544, Matthew 544. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Because this is how he shows love to the unbelieving. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So what is he saying? He's saying, look, every day you get up and God bestows through creation blessings on both unsaved and saved people. Turn over to Luke 6.35. He even makes it more uh, clear. It's even clearer in uh, Luke 6.35. Look at Luke 6.35. Jesus is again speaking, and here's what he says. But love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High. So again, we are like God when we are kind and merciful to the unbelieving. For he himself, and here it is, is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. That's why I had a hard time choosing whether it's mercy or kindness. Mercy because they don't deserve it. They're not getting what they deserve. 
What they deserve is judgment, and instead they're getting rain, sunshine, and just a wonderful creation to live in, fallen though it is. And yet it's kindness. And the reason I like kindness, and he says here, be kind, because Kindness is mercy in action. So he just doesn't have an attitude. He actually gives. So turn to Acts 14, 16. Acts 14, 16. Paul is preaching. And here's what he says. Acts 14, 16. In the generations gone by, he, God, permitted all the nations to go their own way. And yet... He did not leave himself without a witness. Well, what's that witness? What was his witness to the nations? In that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts, and I like this, with food and gladness. So think about that. God is doing good and being a witness to those who are his enemies, to the rebels who shake their fist at him, who live contrary to him, who worship idols instead of the living God. And he says, you know what? I'm going to do good and I'm going to give you and I'm going to make fruitful seasons that satisfy your hearts. Here's the bottom line. The doctrine of common grace should lead our hearts to greater thankfulness. When you see the sunshine, when you see a flower, when you see and go on vacation and look at creation, it ought to spill over in a greater thankfulness. Here's how systematic theologian Wayne Grudem put it. He says this, when we walk down a street and see houses and gardens and families dwelling in security, Or when we do business in the marketplace and see the abundant results of technological progress. Or when we walk through the woods and see the beauty of nature. Or when we are protected by government. Or when we are educated from the vast storehouse of human knowledge. We should realize not only that God in his sovereignty is ultimately responsible for all these blessings but also that God has granted them all to sinners who are totally undeserving of any of them. These blessings in the world are not only evidence of God's power and wisdom. Look at such a great God that could do this. They are also continually a manifestation of His abundant grace. The realization of this fact should cause our hearts to swell with thanksgiving To God in every activity of life. We have constant reasons for giving thanks to God just in general creation due to common grace. Now, if that's true for the unbeliever, how much more true should it be for us who are in Christ Jesus? So look at the second point there in your notes. We have even greater reasons because for thankfulness because they're given exclusively in Christ due to saving grace. So as the unbeliever looks out at creation, he has many reasons to look up to God and say, thank you, thank you. But we who are saved, we look at Christ and we have even more reasons, right? 
Because we understand, because here's the thing. I, I, I like that quote by Grudem, but the reality is that's written from suburbia where gardens exist and culture, you know, two-thirds of the world, uh, you know, life is much harder. But listen, as a Christian, no matter how hard life gets, in fact, I remember one perspective course, one of the instructors gave this testimony of going to one of those trash heap uh, village, you know, where people live in a trash heap, like in Sao Paulo, Brazil, outside there, and meeting Christians who then said, could we pray God's blessings on you? And this woman was so humbled and broken and speechless, thinking you live in a trash heap and yet you know Christ and you're praying and joyfully giving thanks to God and asking God's blessing on me. Whoa, that, that's what saving grace. So let me give you a definition of saving grace. Saving grace is God's salvation given to undeserving sinners to become new creations in Christ. So the unbeliever only looks at the old broken creation, but even there he sees the glory of God and should look up and give thanks. But we look to Christ and we have gotten grace through faith in Christ alone to become new creations and that should erupt in greater praise. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, just to give you the... The background to here's a great classic passage for what is saving grace. Well, here it is Ephesians 2 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. There's where the thankfulness comes from. Not as a result of works, hey, I earned it, I deserved it. Uh, God, you should be thanking me that I even consider you. No. It's not the result of work, so no one may boast. Pride is cut at its feet, at it, cut off at its legs. For we are His workmanship created. There's the new creation. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. So even after we're saved, the good works we do are a result of His grace, not mine. It's Him at work in me. And through me, which God even prepared beforehand so that we should walk in him. So God has not only given you grace to be saved, he's given you grace to live a sanctified life. And all of it comes from him before the foundation of the world. It's his grace. So now turn back to Ephesians chapter 1. And just, we referred to this last week, but I... It's just the, the great classic passage to go. Here's how saving grace ought to erupt in thanksgiving. So look at Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father. So blessed is another way of giving thanks. It's another way of praising Him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, here's how He did it. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love, He predestined us to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. It was His pleasing pleasure to do this. Why? To the praise 
of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. So the Father planned our salvation. We give thanks. Now, look at verse 7. He turns from the Father to the Son. In Him, the Beloved, the Son, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according, again, to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him. So, the Father purposing in the Son is bestowing grace to those who He calls out of the sinful world, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time. That is, the summing up, Eventually, of all things in Christ, that's the coming kingdom. Things in heaven and things on earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance. There's the kingdom inheritance. Having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. To the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be what? To the praise of His glory. Christ purchased salvation, and the result, thanksgiving. But He's not done. He's moving from the Father to the Son, now to the Spirit. Verse 13, In Him also, that is in Christ, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. So let me just stop right there. I mean, this isn't a lesson on, on predestination, but stop right there and realize that all this emphasis on predestination does not eliminate human responsibility. At the end of the day, how does this come into the human heart? They must hear the gospel. He emphasizes that. And they must believe the gospel. So you could write right next to verse 13, missions is required. Evangelism is required. Notice, having believed, what happened? You were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. So, the Holy Spirit is a down payment. He's a promise. He's a pledge. And future salvation is planted in us by the Holy Spirit, promising that one day, just like a down payment on the house, you own it, and someday it will be paid in full. Why is this all done? Look at verse 14. To the praise of His glory. So do you see what's happening? And by the way, in the Greek, that is all one sentence. That is all one sentence unbroken. Why? Because you can't separate the, the planning of the Father from the purchasing of the Son from the pledging of the Spirit. The triune God has bestowed saving grace on us and every time, at every point, in predestining, in purchasing, and in pledging, we should respond to God with what? Praise and thanksgiving. Isn't that beautiful? And I just wanted to emphasize that because it's a, it's a glorious thing. So, the Redeemer is gracious to those who are His by grace alone through faith alone. Now, it says in your notes, at least 32 times, Paul expresses thankfulness to God in his 13 letters. In fact, I, I look through this. So let me, I'm, I'm just going to read these. I'm just going to read these. So don't tune out on me. 32. 
because I just want the flow, the overflow of thanksgiving. This is Paul right. He can't he wrote 13 letters and only two does the word thank thankfulness or thanksgiving or thank give thanks appear. So let, let, we're, I'm just going to move through these. But thanks be to God. Romans 7:25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 4. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.14 But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. 2 Cor 4.15 For all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading more and more uh, to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 8.16 But thanks be to God who puts the earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. 2 Corinthians 8.16 But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest... Ah, I read that again. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says, uh, You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. 2 Corinthians 9.15 Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift of grace. Ephesians 5.4 I've already read it. No filthiness which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Ephesians 5.20 Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Colossians 1, 3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Colossians 1, 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. Colossians 3, 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Colossians 4.2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. First Thessalonians 2.13 For this reason, we constantly thank God that when you received the word, you received it as the word of God. First uh, Thessalonians 5.18 In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. First Timothy 1.12 I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. Because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. And then there's about another dozen more where he gives thanks to God for other Christians. Now, I read that for a reason because it's overwhelming, isn't it? And when you start looking at those verses in context, we are to have a continual life of thanksgiving and basically, everything that God has done in our hearts is meant to erupt in what? Thanksgiving. I mean, it's just all there. So, 
Here's the question. How do we avoid the unavoidable? Okay, how do we avoid? Is complaining unavoidable? Yes. Is it avoidable? Yes. So how do we avoid the unavoidable? Let's take a look at how do we, what makes the difference between a grateful and an ungrateful person? Between a thankful and an unthankful person? Between a griper and a praiser? And then, Randy, I just couldn't help, between a whiner and a waner. Because Randy is one of the most thankful, non-complaining people that I know in my entire life. So you're either going to be a whiner or a waner. So let's figure it. You think that's, it's God's grace in your life, Randy. It's an amazing thing. I give thanks for you. So here it is. The heart of the problem, and you should know this by now, the heart of the problem is always the, the heart. The heart of the problem is always the heart. It's not out here. It's not with other people. It's in here. It's in our hearts. I, uh, listen, we're in this Thanksgiving season, and, and, you know, it's sad because I said, you know, in our church, it's coming out of uh, world outreach, very hectic. Then we're going into the Christmas busyness. You kind of have this lull. But if you notice, in the world, they just, uh, Halloween is rising, and then Christmas in each is over. And what gets lost in the secular world, which shouldn't surprise us, is what? Thanksgiving in our culture, okay? But here's two things that it tells us. Uh, This season of Thanksgiving reveals two things. First of all, the human heart is hardwired. The human heart is hardwired for giving thanks to God and others. (coughs) It's who we were created to be. We were made in the image of God, and we were made to give thanks to God. And therefore, that impulse is still in every person created in the image of God, which is everybody. Thanksgiving, here's what I want you to see. Thanksgiving is the message of creation. So turn your Bible to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Thanksgiving is the message of creation. Notice what it says. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the works of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. What he's saying is, the sun, the moon, the stars, the heavens are always declaring the glory of God. Notice verse 3, there is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. But their line goes out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. So you go, my favorite spot on earth is the Grand Teton uh, National Park. You go there and you look at that and there's silence and yet those mountains are shouting, there's a God. There's a glorious, powerful, wonderful God. Look how beautiful this, he's more beautiful. Look how majestic this is. He's more majestic. That is a constant witness that's going out. Uh, Romans 1.20 says the same thing. Listen to Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that 
Unbelievers are without excuse. There's a God. Look at the Grand Canyon. There's a God. Look at that satellite going up into space. There's a God. Look at your fingerprint. There's a God. Look at the molecules under a mighty microscope. All of that leaves the unbeliever without excuse. So here's what I want you to see what creation should teach us to be. Just creation, not Christ, just creation. First, number one, we are humbled before God. We are humbled because He's God and we're not. Now, I've done some pretty amazing things in my life, right, Gwen? Yeah, I've done some pretty amazing things, but I'm not God. I haven't made a mountain range. I can't produce rain. I can't, you know, and even anything I create, I did it with the, with the skills and with the life and the energy that he gave me, all right? So it should humble. He's God, I'm not. Listen to Psalm 8. Here's what David said. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? You ever seen those videos where they... They, they uh, go out from, you know, like they'll go out from like your foot right there and spanned out into the universe and then think God is even farther out than that. And yet, Renee, he's thinking about you. Who is Renee? Who is Cody? Who am I? It's humbling, right? He's God. I'm not. Secondly, we are dependent on God because he's the giver. And we're the receivers. I can't create anything. Anything I create, he gave me the resources to do it. We are dependent. My next breath is a gift from him. To Acts 17, 25. The only self-sufficient person on this planet or in this universe is God. He's self-sufficient. He needs nothing from anyone. Listen to Acts 17, 25. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath in all things. In Psalm 50, he says this in verses 10 and 12. If I were hungry, or let me read verse 10, I'm sorry. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and everything that moves in the field. It's mine. And then he asks this question, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? He's saying, I don't need your sacrifices to feed me like the false gods say. You know, give me the best foods, give me the sacrifices because we're feeding our God. Well, first of all, it just rots and they throw it out. I mean, I've been in Buddhist homes, in fact, for Thanksgiving, and they have their idols there, and they have their incense, and they have good food sitting up there. I wanted a snack, but it belonged to the gods. They're trying to feed. And God's saying, I don't, I, I'm, you can't give me anything that I don't already own. So how do you, what do you give to someone that has it all? You give him thanks because it all comes from him. Third, we are to be thankful to God because giving thanks is the number one response to the creator. So when you go on vacation, Jeff, when you go fishing, 
when you go hiking, when you just step out the door, honestly, when you just wake up one more morning, we ought to be thinking, I'm humbled, he's God, I'm not, I'm dependent, he just gave me another morning, and I'm thankful. That's just good stuff. That'll work, that'll work. Now, the only problem is, what happens? Oh, I gave you, I think I have a, do I have a Piper quote here for you? Yeah, you can, you can read that, that's in your notes. He just basically say, if I cannot add to his glory, then I must honor his glory. How shall a mere creature honor the glory of his maker? We all know the answer to that question. We honor his glory by cherishing it and being thankful. If we can't add to you, then we just praise you. That's the idea. And yet the human heart rebels. The human heart rebels against giving thanks. We're hardwired and yet we rebel. Now, unthankful hearts, how do we do this? Well, look, go back to Romans 1. Go back to Romans 1 because I want you to, I'm trying to tie this whole creation thing together. Look at Romans 1 again and let's look at verse 20. We've already read verse 20. Let's read it again. For since creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what was made, creation, so that they're without excuse. But look at verse 21. For even though they knew God, not in a saving way, but through His creation, there is a God, and it's not me. Because He made this, and I couldn't. They knew God. What did they do? They did not honor him as God. The very thing Piper said we ought to do or give thanks. So here's the thing. The first step to apostasy is unthankfulness. The very first step, the first step away from God is to look and know by the creation that there is a creator and to not give thanks to him. That's how important thankfulness is. And, 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 and may it never be said of us, who not only know the Creator, but we know His Redeemer, and yet we don't give thanks? That's not good. That's an inconsistency. Notice what they did. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and the birds and the four-footed animals and the crawling creatures. How sad. And yet we as believers, listen, we as believers are in danger of regulating our thankfulness to a holiday or an occasional burst of gratitude instead of a lifestyle. A lifestyle. That's what this series is about. It's about thanks living, not merely thanksgiving. It's about moving from thanksgiving to thankful living every day. So what's the answer? Well, here it is. The eyes of your heart determine your thankfulness. In other words, the root of complaining, 
The root of ingratitude is how we view ourselves in our heart. You're like, we have eyes in our heart? Yeah, Paul said, Paul prayed for the Ephesians that the eyes of their heart would see the glories of Christ. So it's where you look. So let me give you a chart. You got a chart there. And this is how it happens. The proud are complainers who think they are deserving. Okay, so take a look at this. Take how, see how this happens. Oh, I got two words. Well, how did I get double? How did I get double all on that? Sorry about that. It starts up here thinking, I'm basically good. In our heart, thinking, I'm basically good. And because I'm basically good, I'm entitled. I'm entitled. Because I'm entitled, I'm deserving. You know, everything should come towards me, right? And not only am I deserving, because I'm deserving, my needs are superior to everyone else. So, you know, Gwen's good, but my needs are greater. Okay? Jeremy, you're a great guy, but basically, you're here to meet my needs. And so, therefore, I'm entitled leads to me expecting everything, not just people, but circumstances in life to be meeting my needs. Okay? And over here, I don't even know if I can read this. I'm deserving of everyone and everything devoting their energies to meeting my needs. So I go from I'm entitled to where everybody and everything ought to be geared towards meeting my needs. The only problem is we live in a fallen world, and what happens? Everyone disappoints you, eventually. Everyone, eventually. You know, the whole goal of premarital counseling is to teach this. Because the couple is in la-la land, and you got to get ready because this is not going to last. You need a better foundation. Then, because I'm entitled and I'm deserving, they fail. I'm entitled to complain. Why? Because I'm good. And because I'm basically good, I'm deserving. And because I'm deserving, my needs are superior, and everybody ought to leverage their energies to meet my needs. Yet they fail, and they fail horribly. Therefore, I get to complain. I'm justified to complain when everyone and everything fails to meet my needs. That's what's going on in our heart. That's helpful. It's painfully revealing. Are you with me? Now, how do we go from that to the humble? How do we go from that? Because here's the thing. For proud hearts, they hate the message of creation and they reject the message of redemption. Let's go did, or we, go back, go back. Yeah. So, the message of creation is that you're not good, only God is good, and the message is you're fallen. And and that whole thing falls apart. And so the unsaved person, the proud heart, refuses to give thanks. Okay, so let's go to the solution. What's the solution? The humble give thanks knowing they are undeserving. So it all starts up here. And instead of being entitled, 
The humble person realizes that only God is entitled to be exhausted, uh, exalted. <laughs> only God is good. And because only God is good and I'm a fallen sinner, I'm not deserving of anything. What's the only thing we deserve? Eternal judgment. Death. Immediate death. That's all that I am deserving of. Therefore, I need His grace because only His grace can meet my needs. And because His grace meets my needs in Christ Jesus, I get to serve others like Christ has served me. So because I don't have to look to you as my ultimate meeting my ultimate needs, I look to Him. That frees me up to have this attitude which was also in Christ Jesus who considered it not selfishly grabbing on to the divine nature but emptied Himself and became in the form of a man. So only God is entitled. Christ becomes my example. And the result is this. When I live for God in the power of the Spirit, to serve others, there are eternal blessings that this world cannot take away. Cancer can't take it away. Failed relationships can't take it away. Being fired from my job or being persecuted can't take it away because ultimately if they kill me, I just enter into the blessings and the presence of God that I've been serving all along. Oh, thank you. I mean, that was Paul's attitude. You're going to cut off my head? Thank you. For to be, you know, I want to be with Christ, but I want to serve here as long as I can. Now, because of that, we just want to give thanks. So here you go. Only God is entitled. I'm undeserving. I'm depraved but saved by God's grace in Christ Jesus with the Spirit. Therefore, Christ in me, the Spirit in me, enables me to live as Christ does for others. And the result is, I'm humbled, I bow before God, and yet I'm exalted in Christ. I bow before God, and yet in Christ I'm risen to the heavenlies. What a deal. So I joyfully offer myself as a living sacrifice with much thanksgiving. The proud heart or the humbled heart. That's where you're at, okay? That's, that's the result. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to ask yourself, how do I view myself? Which heart is my heart? How accurately are you viewing yourself? I think Romans 7 is a great place to go. Here's how Paul viewed himself. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of sin? He looked at himself accurately. I'm a depraved individual. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here, both in your notes and in the handout is the Thanksgiving, thanks living assessment. So here's what I want to challenge you to do is before Thanksgiving, because if you wait to Thanksgiving, it's, you're, you know, you're going to be stuffed with turkey, exhausted from dancing with your turkeys. And here's what I want you to do. 13 questions. All right. And don't just do it as a religious exercise. But realize this, proud people don't say thanks. You're going to find, I'm going to find, that we're more proud, more ungrateful, more selfish than what we expected. But don't be afraid of that. Why? Because God's grace is sufficient and you can come before him saying, thanks be 
to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, thanks, living assessment. And we'll continue in our study of being thankful. I don't know, I, I was very excited about this. Because it's just good to focus on being grateful. And as I anticipated this, Pat, then all week I'm thinking... Thoughts are coming in my mind of complaining, and I'm like, oh, see, there you go. There you go. I, I, I just, I, I need this lifestyle. I need it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. It's more abundant than what we realize. It's everything that we need. Humble our proud hearts and lift our spirits into living thankfully and not just occasionally giving thanks, but living. For indeed, humbling ourselves before you is far better way to live. And it will overflow into blessings on our family, our friends, our co-workers, and even here at our church. Lord, may we here be a more thankful people. In Jesus' name, amen.